I invite you to stand for our scripture lesson from John chapter 3. Some of this will be familiar to it. There are a lot of familiar phrases and passages. Um, Some will be less familiar, but we'll be reading today one of the things about Lent is our Lent readings tend to be long, okay? Take a deep breath, do some exercises, whatever. This is not the longest. We have a whole chapter coming up in a couple of weeks. But uh, remember that, that during Lent, we, we take these large blocks of text. Now, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews, and he came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, We know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. An equally plausible translation there is without being born anew. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. For what is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated and let us pray. O Lord, we come to you today in the shadow of your word, and we believe. We believe in Jesus Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, for you alone, O Lord, are our rock, and you are our mighty Redeemer. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Everybody knows John 3.16. If you're older than 30, you probably know it from the King James Version. 
Okay? So let's say it all together from the King James Version. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, for those of us who don't use the word believeth in everyday speech, we do have more modern translations. And the New Revised Standard Version, which just happens to be my favorite, doesn't happen to be doesn't have to be your favorite. Um, but but the New Revised Standard Version um, smooths off those antiquated old English endings and simply says, "For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him might not perish, but." have everlasting life, eternal life. Today, we look at the character of Nicodemus. If you uh, watch The Chosen, this is how Nicodemus looks in The Chosen. Nicodemus does not necessarily uh, have all of the qualities, the characteristics that the Chosen series imparts to him. But nonetheless, Nicodemus is an intriguing character within the Gospel of John, which is the only place that Nicodemus appears, is in the Gospel of John. But he appears at three different points, three separate points throughout John's Gospel. In this first place where he appears in John's Gospel, he comes to consult Jesus, but he does it in secret because he doesn't want anybody to know. He doesn't want anybody to know that he as a teacher in Israel, that he as a leader of the Jewish faith, is going out to Jesus and consulting with him on matters of religious truth. He conceals his visit. It's easy in our world, and in our world you're not going to get shot for being a Christian at least not very often. In other places and other continents, you might get in trouble. You might get in significant trouble. In North Korea, you could lose your life very easily for consulting Jesus or letting it be made known that you are a follower of Jesus. But how many times do we shrink back and not let it be known that we are followers of Jesus? Are are we embarrassed to pray in a restaurant? Now, I'm not saying make this a legalistic kind of practice, but is it embarrassing to us to to be associated with gratitude toward God? Are we embarrassed when a friend or a loved one has something happen in her life or his life that that we would encounter as something to go to God about? Are, Are we embarrassed and ashamed to say, I'm going to be praying for you, And you may or may not want me to pray with you now, but I'm certainly willing. I'm certainly willing if if you're open to that. Nicodemus consults Jesus in secret. He's not yet ready to be a disciple who lives out in the open. He's not yet ready to have others know that he is interested in this figure, Jesus. There are some commentators who say that the darkness is representative of the doubt and faithlessness of a a faith that has not yet come to fruition, a faith that has not yet dawned. Like I said, Nicodemus shows up in three places. This passage, where the Lord speaks to him, some of our most beloved words about rebirth, 
about the wind blowing where it pleases. In late John chapter 7, uh, Jesus is in Jerusalem and, and Nicodemus challenges those who say this man is nothing but an imposter. He says, our law does not allow us to judge people before giving them a hearing. Hear this man, and then let us decide. We see Nicodemus again in John chapter 19, as he brings 75 pounds of spices. That's a lot of spices. I don't like to carry around 50-pound bags of concrete. I, I certainly wouldn't like to carry around a bag and a half of concrete. But, but if we look at the interpretive significance of 75 pounds of spices to, to bury Jesus, Nicodemus is giving Jesus a burial that is fit for a king. And so in some ways... We can answer the question, did Nicodemus ever come to faith? By saying that at the end of John's gospel, the way that Nicodemus relates to Jesus is he relates to Jesus as a king. In this man, Nicodemus, we might see a, a lot of things that remind us of ourselves, of our own our own fear to be open about our relationship with Jesus, our own fear about letting others know that we're wacky people of faith. We're worried about what others might think of us. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. He comes to Jesus at night, and Jesus teaches him about rebirth. Hear the words of the Lord. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who comes from God for nobody can do the kinds of signs that you do apart from the presence of God. And Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born anew without being born from above. And Nicodemus, incredulous, answered him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus lacks imagination. Let's use imagination for just a moment. And let's consider that distinction between the natural and the supernatural. I don't know if you've taken any of those DNA tests lately. I've got one sitting on my desk. I haven't swabbed out my cheek yet. To know from whence I came, to know what the 23andMe will tell me about myself and my ancestry, you get 23 of your chromosomes from mom, you get 23 from dad, and that's you. I look at my, my grandchildren, baby Charlotte. Michaela got all of her DNA from me. And Melinda, of course. <laughs> she, she gets some credit also. But, but Charlotte's got some of my DNA too. And so does, so does Jeremiah. They've got, they've got parts of me that have been passed down to them. 
hopefully the parts that have a good sense of humor, hopefully the parts that are most of the time chill and, and, and just sort of easy going. In the natural world, we've got the stuff that makes us us. We've got the material that has been programmed into our DNA, and some people's DNA make them more susceptible to certain diseases, make them more uh, susceptible to uh, things that, that might happen later on in life. There are some personality traits that are, that are tied to our DNA. But when Jesus says that we need to be born from water and the Spirit, that we need to be born from above, that we need to be born anew, that adds something into this mix. So being born from above, being born again, being born anew, means that there comes a point as we enter into faith where who I am means I got something from mom, I got something from dad, and I've got something supernatural that comes from God. God is with me, the Holy Spirit operating within me. And I am born, not only of the physical, but I am born of the spiritual. Jesus said, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh. What is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I have said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses and you hear the sound of it. You don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. So if we are born of the Spirit, we've entered into the kind of relationship in faith where who I am, who you are, is not just the stuff you got from mom and the stuff you got from dad, but there is this infusion of something from God into your life which explains why people can, in faith and through faith, do the impossible. Those who have been through AA know that there are some ways of trying to extricate oneself from an awful addictive experience requires this, this belief in the higher power that we can't do it on our own. There are those of us who were rotten, nasty people until Jesus came into our lives and something happened. We're at least less rotten and nasty. You can only imagine what some of us would be if it weren't for the grace of God that were poured in, was poured into our lives. Those, <laughs> those rotten, nasty Christians that you know, just imagine if they weren't Christians. How utterly unavailable they would be to us in... in intellectual and emotional kinds of contexts. So when you live with something that comes from your mom and something that comes from your dad and something that comes from God, there are so many things 
that are impossible for you, that are possible for you and God. There are so many things that are impossible for you that are possible for you and for God. I love that Jesus continues this this monologue with Nicodemus. And and as he brings it to a close, he, he talks about the foundation for all of this. The foundation for being born from not only natural but, but supernatural means. He, he talks about the, the very basis, this, this foundation on which our faith and on which our practice is built. But he talks about the foundation of why God has acted as God has acted. For God so loved the world. All of this sort of boils over out of love. For God's love for the world was so great that he gave his only son. So that everyone who believes in this son that God has given because he loves us might not perish but have eternal life. This is the part we know by heart. But I, I encourage you to, to learn the next verse by heart also. Because it speaks to the why of God's entire plan for the world, for salvation. God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world. But in order that the world might be saved through him in order that the world might be saved through him. Dear Christian, your relationship with God comes because of God's love for you. Dear Christian, you are called to faith, the kind of faith that makes you into a new creation, a new person, because you're, you're no longer dealing with just your own resources. You are allowed to tap into the resources of a God whose resources are limitless. And this God doesn't want to push you away This God has sent his son into the world so that we might have the opportunity to say yes to him. So that we might have the opportunity to come to faith and experience that love. Today, we experience that love 